Cats podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats Podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I've been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. Today, we're speaking with Erin Robinson. Erin's first experience with community cats not only involved teaching herself about TNR and finding a local vet who would work with a community cat, but also teaching herself how to successfully relocate a cat and then doing so. Two years later, she began working with Operation Catnip in Gainesville, Florida, and since then, she's never left animal welfare. Erin's time at Alley Cat Allies led her to her current work managing Humane Rescue Alliance's Community Cat Program in Washington, D.C. Advocating for community cats is truly Erin's lifelong passion. She currently lives in D.C. with her husband and their 11-year-old pit bull and two former community cats, Shelly and Desi. Erin, I'd like to welcome you to the show. Thank you. I'm really excited to talk to you today. So, Erin, before we dive in deep in the the programs that you're currently working on in D.C., I thought you might want to share with the folks, how did you get started in animal welfare? You know, my very first experience was in college. I was in a co-ed service fraternity, and the whole point of it was to do a certain number of volunteer hours every semester. And the bulk of the hours that I did were with our county's uh, Humane Society, which happened to also be an open intake shelter in Forsyth County, North Carolina. It was, it seemed like the best of all the options. And it truly was once I got there. I worked with cats, dogs, all kinds of different people, and then started fostering, working with rescues at their adoption events. And then it just really kind of continued to snowball until I started working very directly with community cats, which was accidental also, and I haven't stopped. That's great. And what were your your leading forces? You somehow found Operation Catnip? Yeah. So I, again, completely accidental. When I graduated from college, I initially did some work with my degree in anthropology, but then moved and couldn't really find a job in that field. So I, pulling from my volunteer experience from college, applied to work with No More Homeless Pets in Gainesville, which is a high-volume spay-neuter clinic. That job came with lots of shared responsibilities with Operation Catnip in Gainesville. And that was really my first major introduction to TNR because they have huge monthly clinics, which I think you and the listeners all know. And that was really it. And it's a, it's a big deep dive into what are community cats? What is trap neuter return? How do you run a clinic? And I did not know it was coming when I took the job, but I couldn't be happier that it did. Yeah. So you discovered sort of what was going on out there in the big wide world with regards to community cats and trap new to return. And you've always felt that return to field, trap new to return was sort of the the right way to go. I mean, I always believed that I was sort of raised that way. I mean, I never thought of there being another option out there other than trap new to return or return to field. 
But that was because of where I was at that particular time. Luckily, back in the 90s, I just sort of had that mindset. And it sounds like, I hate to say this, but you were almost sort of raised that way too. Yeah, no, that's exactly the right description. My experience of or knowledge of really the existence of community cats and what to do about them was nil before I started working with Operation Catnip. I truly was totally ignorant of the fact that there are cats living outside and there are X, Y, or Z ways to help them live the best lives they can. I simply didn't know it existed until I started working with Operation Catnip and then it was very eye-opening and I have never questioned uh, whether return to field was the right decision or not. It has always, for me, been the right decision for cats who are thriving and have somewhere to go. And so we fast forward a little bit, and you are now managing Humane Rescue Alliance's community cat program in Washington, D.C., and I want to make sure we devote enough time to cover the the work that you do within that program, which I'm sure is it's a huge amount of work because Washington, D.C. is not a small place, and <laughs> there's there's a lot of, of different federal and, you know, municipal issues that you have to deal with, so if you can share with us a little bit, specifically, what does the community cat program entail at Humane Rescue Alliance? Yeah, so now, in its current iteration, it entails a whole lot more than it did when it started, which I think is common. When the program started, it was very grassroots and volunteer-based and really simply trying to find a better outcome for cats in D.C., so looking to do trap, neuter, return. Growing from there, that was about 10 years ago, it has become an integral, really mission-critical part of this organization's work, not only to be a community-supported program, but it's supported by D.C. law now. I think in 2010, D.C. Council met after a couple of years of a pilot program, more or less, and they agreed that trap neuter return is the right thing to do for community cats. So it's written into our code, it's supported. And while people, of course, not everyone agrees with, with cats living outside or coming on their property, it is, I, I feel so lucky every day coming to work that it is such a supported program by the vast majority of people who live in DC, both homeowners, renters, as well as people in the bureaucracy of DC, like you mentioned, that's, that's just ingrained at this point. But so what we do, of course, is trap neuter return. We offer that service for free for cats coming from within the district. So spay or neuter is offered along with distemper and rabies vaccines, of course, ear tipping. We in the last year have started also microchipping every cat coming through our program and putting on a dose of revolution because we want to have those cats be as healthy as possible if this is the only touch point we ever have with them. And that's uh, great free service, I dare ask, is there a magical sauce to get the funding to do that? A lot of luck. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things that, again, we are really lucky to have is this is now a very widely publicly spoken about program, one of our community programs here. And it is something that is donor funded. And we uh, also have a 
a bequest that was left specifically to our program a few years ago. So we're very lucky in different regards. Some I think are very unique to us because of bequests. You know, that's not something you can just come across easily necessarily, but it's very much donor funded because our development team and Lisa LaFontaine, our president, everyone agrees that this is something that we have to keep afloat because it's so critical for the cast in DC. We're proud to be an affiliate of Space Kitty Express, makers of handmade refillable catnip alternative cat toys. Think Valerian, Silver Vine, Honeysuckle, etc. for the discerning cat who wants to try something new or doesn't respond to catnip. You can even get 10% off your purchase at Space Kitty Express by using the code COMMUNITYCATS at checkout. Help your kitty blast off today with some new toys from www. SpaceKittyExpress.com. Did you miss the 2018 online cat conference that we held in January? Or would you like to share some of the conference webinars with friends? You can now purchase the presentations and share them with colleagues and friends. Just visit our recordings page, which is under the resources tab, to access webinars from some of the leading personalities in feline welfare today. They're sure to give you and your cat-loving friends great ideas on ways to help even more cats. Check it out at www.communitycatspodcast.com. And it looks like you have added a interesting new program, relatively new. I believe it started in February of 2017. It's called Blue Collar Cats. Would you want to fill us in on that program? Absolutely. So that program looks at addressing the population of cats who come to us who would otherwise be candidates for trap, neuter, return, but don't have a safe place to return to. There are myriad reasons for that, which I'm sure we can all think of, but really what, what we had been looking at as an organization were cats coming in from locations where we knew it wasn't safe for outdoor cats to live because of potential issues with cruelty. Also, cats being found on uh, federal lands, like in Rock, Rock Creek Park, for example, or Kenilworth Aquatic Gardens. We can't really return cats to those locations. And also simply caregivers passing away and not having anyone to take over their colonies or moving and not having anyone to take over their colonies. And we didn't have necessarily a built-in proactive solution for those types of cats who really were not going to ever be adoption candidates. Um, and that's what Blue Collar Cats does, is we have those cats come in, we treat them with everything we would for every other trap, neuter, return cat, if they haven't already had it. And then we relocate them to a business or homeowner who has reached out to us indicating they want to have a cat on their property, mostly for assistance with rodent abatement. Uh, DC is, I think, maybe number two in the country for rat problems at this point. So we have a lot of interest in having uh, cats to help with that. Our main goal with that is not, hey, these are cats that are definitely going to be good hunters, but hey, can you help us provide a good outcome for this cat who we may not have another avenue for. And it's been hugely successful and widely supported. So it, my understanding is you've relocated 
quite a few cats. Do you have any numbers on, on how many cats have gone through this program? And do you track retention? Yes and yes. So we have relocated 117 cats through the program. And I am tracking retention. You know, I think we went into this knowing there would be some number or percentage of cats who simply didn't stay. You do your best with a three to four week acclimation pen and tips for how to acclimate a cat well, help them bond to their new caregiver and their new location, which we created and we give to everyone. Sometimes cats just simply don't want to stay where you take them. You know, they're cats and they have very strong opinions, but large, large majority of the cats we placed have stayed. I think they really know that they've got a good thing there. They've got somebody taking really good care of them because that person actively wanted them. You know, they didn't kind of organically fall into, oh, I moved into this house and there's cats. I guess I'll feed them. But rather they they emailed us or called us and had a long conversation with us about what it means to have a cat like this, went through this acclimation period and want nothing more than for that cat to be happy, safe and healthy and hopefully, you know, help it be a mutual benefit for them as well. Yeah. And so you said you had like a do you have like a relocation tip sheet or a protocol? Is that is that something that would be available to folks in any way, shape, or form? It is. It's on our website, actually. We Once we finalized that, we did put it up on our website under our resources so that anybody can look at that at any point and utilize that. That's great. And with the addition of the microchipping, too, I would get the sense that over time you might find even if a cat has strayed away from its location, if the cat gets brought into you, you know, you'll be able to understand the history of that cat at least. Absolutely. And that's happened quite a number of times since we implemented microchipping for both traditional TNR cats who are going right back to where they came from, as well as blue collar cats. We have a couple of well-known blue-collar cats who tend to stray and are semi-social, so people really think they are rescuing a cat who needs to be rescued. And we have a couple who've come back to us, I think, three or four times than then gone back to where they actually live. But it's that microchip that helps us do that. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Are there a couple of examples, like more specific examples, where you have relocated cats to? Or any stories that really stand out to you? Yeah. So we, you know, the, the majority of placements we've done have been with homeowners. And I think we didn't know going into this whether it would be homeowners or business owners. So if you read our website, which I think is wonderful, we had an ad agency do some great work with us on that. They're very clever people. It seems pretty geared towards businesses and business owners, but homeowners are really the the majority of people who have reached out. But in terms of non-homeowners, I guess I'll say, we've placed uh, cats with churches. We've placed some with hardware stores, bars and restaurants, though those are very much outside-only cats because of Department of Health regulations. And we've also had a cat placed in two large apartment buildings. They mostly prowl their whole basement, which is like a quarter of a city block, as well as brewery. And uh, we've placed two cats with 
the prison that we have a relationship with because we also have a prison dog program through our organization. So the inmates there work with our dogs for behavior issues and they gain skills. And that prison reached out to us to get some cats. Great. One of the uh, big questions that has been, I think, going around nationwide is the question of, you know, how many community cats do we really have? And, you know, when do we know that we've really gotten as far as we can get? Obviously, that's not a question for all parts of the country because some parts are still dealing with really intense needs for aggressive overpopulation, spaying and neutering, really intense programs, and they can't can't even imagine, you know, getting to the there yet. But there are other parts of the country where there's really a feeling that we've gotten to almost a, a maintenance stage. Do you have any thoughts on sort of metrics or the importance of having metrics, or do we just sort of keep on going as long as there's somebody at the door needing to be tipped and spayed and neutered? I think both. I would love to work myself out of a job and not have any more community cats and be able to do something else in animal lover. That would be my dream is to not be, not be able to do this because I simply can't. However, I think that there will probably always be cats who need help, need people who need help taking care of the cats. So we should always exist to provide that service for those people who show up. However, I also think it is vital to have true metrics and data that we can call on when talking about the efficacy of trap neuter return, because I think that's the biggest sticking point that exists when trying to persuade people or groups that trap neuter return is the better option for these cats who live outside over doing nothing or trapping and euthanizing. You know, I don't think that we have that information yet. I think we have a lot of anecdotal information about how many cats we've done trap neuter return for and what kind of reduction we've seen in kitten intake at the shelter in that same municipality. And those are good points of data and they can show a correlation, but not necessarily a causation. And that data is what we here actually at HRA are hoping to have. We are very, very soon going to be launching a three-year-long DC cat count project. We're partnering with HSUS, PetSmart Charities, and the Smithsonian Conservation Biology Institute to use tried and true conservation biology methods of monitoring and estimating population so we can really look at how many cats are here in DC. And then taking that data and making it applicable to anyone who wants to use that model so we can really talk about trap neuter return and community cats in an effective data-driven manner. It sounds very exciting. Sounds kind of scary, but it sounds exciting. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's both for sure. I think I am very data-driven in a lot of what I do, though I can't pretend to understand statistics. So thankfully, we have some wonderful researchers who are helping us in that regard. But I am definitely a person who, when presented with something, I say, well, can you show me that journal article? So I'm so excited to be on the forefront of that future journal article and being able to have that information. But scary, yes, because this is brand new for anybody doing 
community cat work, I think. And there's so many facets that are going to go into this. So we'll, we'll learn as we go. So I was just wondering with it being uh, summertime, uh, how has kitten season been in DC so far? It's been a lot. Obviously we got May is really when it started to pick up very noticeably for us. And at times it's really feast or famine, you know, you'll go a week and we'll get in maybe one or two single kittens. And then the next week we'll get in 20 litters of kittens ranging from two to seven or whatever. But I looking at the actual numbers of kittens coming into the shelter in a given month, it's, it's not bad, you know? And the other thing that I, we are lucky as an organization and a community to have is an amazing foster program. We have people who will take kittens that need socialization. We have people who will take bottle babies, people who will take URI babies, people who will take bottle URI babies. So it is, it's been an amazingly built up and strong program that if we didn't have, you know, I think our shelter would, would be different, but we do. And we're really lucky for that. That's great. Erin, folks are interested in finding out more about the blue collar cats or in the work that you do. How can people find you? So there's a couple ways. The website for our community cat program at large is humanerescuealliance.org slash community cats. And that's cats plural. The Blue Collar Cats program links directly from that page, but also it is humanerescuealliance.org slash bluecollarcats. And again, cats is plural. And Erin, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? No, I think that's it. I'm super excited to hopefully come back on in three years, maybe, when we have a little more data from this, this project and talk more about it. Yeah, I think that's going to be very exciting. And I also am really interested to see how the blue collar cat program continues and how you find that working for everybody in the city. I think that's going to also be a really nice case study. Yeah. I think, you know, keep collecting your data and, and keep collecting those stories because, you know, nothing beats a testimonial about a successful relocation and, you know, the help that these cats can provide in a community. So, Thank you so much for agreeing to be a guest on my show. And thank you to all the listeners for tuning in today. And Erin, I really do hope we'll have you on again in the future. Thank you so much. Me too. Thank you for listening to the Community Cats podcast. I would really appreciate it if you would go to iTunes, leave a review of the show. It will help spread the word to help more community cats. 